Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. Everybody doing today? All right, I do have a sinus infection. Went to the doctor, I do not. As far as we know, I have COVID, um, but I am kind of keeping my distance from people today. I got my tissues. I got my Vicks Vapor Drops and my Mountain Dew, which I would not suggest those two at the same time. It's not pleasant, but anyway, separately, they have magical healing powers. All right. <laughs> um, we are starting a new series today <coughs> called about our core values, the uh, core values of our church. And, you know, it, we didn't just try to come up with some sayings so we could paint on a wall. I mean, these are these actually took years for us to develop, and then we try, of course, you have to try to make them as short as you can so people can remember as best they can, but the, the important part of them is, is that they're behind everything that we do. They drive everything else, and if, if there's an opportunity to do something and it doesn't fit in our, into our core values, then we don't do it. Um, you know, there are, there are different ways to do church. You know, there are a lot of different programs that churches have, a lot of different things that they do. And there are things that are good programs that are, that are just not a fit for us that we don't do. And um, one of the hardest things in ministry to do is to say no to something that, that may have some value, but it's just not right for your church. Because one of the things that we did not want to do is to become a church where people are just always up here. You know, because we have so many things going on that they're always here and always um, busy and don't have time to develop relationships in the community, don't have time to, to meet people. You know, we want people that are um, involved in our communities. That's how we reach people for Christ. And so, you know, we try to keep things simple. But in that simplicity, there's, there's what we hope is depth, and that is that the things that we do, we try to do them um, very well. We try to do things with excellence. You know, you, you won't see us, well, we just kind of threw this together to see how, if we do something, we're going we're gonna to do it very well. And it's either, you know, it, it communicates the way you do things. Now, that means that we've had some spectacular failures through the years, but they were at least spectacular, okay? And that's part of our, uh, part of our belief system. And so we're going to go through um, two of these a week, it's going to be three weeks, you'll be going through them in your small groups as well. Um, but the first one we're going to look at is everyone needs others. And um, I want us to see kind of where that stems from. And it really begins in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And God has, has created the earth, He's, He created man in the wild, and then after um, man was created, He created the Garden of Eden. So, you know, I know people like to say, well, you know, man was created in the Garden of Eden. He wasn't. That, that was created afterwards. Um, I really think that's one of the reasons why men and women, too, at, at some level, a lot of times, are drawn to the wild places. You know, that's, that's kind of built into us from where we were created. And uh, so God created the Garden of Eden, and it was there that he put man and told him, you know, hey, all this is yours except for that one tree. And that's where we're going to kind of pick up. We're just going to read one verse out of Genesis today, and it's Genesis 2.18, but if you'd please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Let's see. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper 
who is just right for him. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, there was a, it also tells us in Genesis that in the cool of every evening that God would come walking in the garden and man would walk with God uh, unashamed and they would walk as two friends in the garden. And that was ultimately, that was the first purpose. That was the, the, the main purpose that man was created was to live in fellowship with God. But God also recognized, you know, there were times in, in the garden where, you know, God was not necessarily walking there or, I mean, he's everywhere. He knew everything that was going on. But what did he say? It is not good for man to be alone. Now, this is when he created woman and the first marriage began and that relationship predates any society, predates any um, uh, stamp of approval on it by government. It was ordained by God. But the key phrase I want us to see there is that, that God created man to be in relationship. And it is not good for the man to be alone. And so that's one of the reasons why, you know, we have uh, corporate worship, you know, where we come together on Sundays and we're in the same place and we worship together. Now, I'm excited as well about our online services. You know, and last week, there were more people that attended online that attended any single service. Now, there were more people here during the whole day than in that one service, but that one service had more people than attended any other service. And that's a lot of people, and there are a lot of reasons behind that. You know, we, we have Miss Sammy lives in Britain. We have people um, in other parts of the United States that watch. Then we have people that are here that for whatever reason can't be here there that Sunday. And, um, and we're grateful for that. And we want to expand on that and we want to grow it. But it's harder to connect with people online as opposed to being in per person. That's one of the reasons why, you know, no matter what reason you, you're unable to be here and you're joining us online, we're excited you're here. Um, if you get a chance, you know, we understand there are health issues and there's other things, but if you can, come join us in person sometime as well. And, you know, some of the folks that are joining us can't be here today, but they'll be back next week or the week after. And that's, uh, there's all different kind of things. So we understand that. But that we were created to be in relationship. And one of the things that I certainly learned um, during those first few months or whatever, when everything was shut down, was how much it affected me not being able to be around people. You know, now we were all probably like, man, this is nice for a week or two. But then over a period of time, you know, and maybe at the beginning you were like, man, if I could, if I could just have a cabin up in the mountains, I could do it. I'm telling you, I could live out there, not talk to anybody for months. But it'll affect you in ways that you didn't really recognize. And I think most of us recognize that it affected us in ways maybe that we, we didn't expect. Um, the reason for that is because God created us to live in relationship with other people. And that's part of how we're meant to be. And so as a church, you know, we have corporate worship, and I get it, you know, everybody's spread out. But the main way that we, that we try to meet that need and that, that we try to live that out is by our small groups. You know, and we have small groups that meet Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, different times, during the week even. And that's where a small group of people come together and are, and are dedicated to hearing the Word of God and of growing in life together. And here's the deal. Now, maybe you have some kind of job where you can't be here during the week, or you know, maybe you have a, a group of men that you do that with, but it's biblical 
to have a group of people that you're kind of living life with. You know, what did Jesus do before he began his ministry? When it was time, before he ever did a single miracle, before he ever preached a single word, what did he do? He went out and gathered up 12 men to go with him and to be with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week for his entire journey to invest in them, to live life together. Now, let me just ask you a question. You think Jesus ever got annoyed with the disciples? Guarantee you he did. At one point, he even turned around to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. So there were times when they were wrong or they wronged him. Or, now, he never wronged them because he was perfect. But here's the deal. Jesus recognized and lived out for us the, the biblical meaning of fellowship. And that's living life together. Now, when I grew up, fellowship meant food. Y'all remember, anybody, anybody in here, old-time Baptist people? Y'all know if you was having a fellowship, that meant somebody's bringing some food. And probably that good old, you know, grandmas are going to bring out their best recipes. And it was different back when I was a kid. When you'd have like a potluck fellowship and everybody get together and everybody talk and all that, the men went through the line first, then the women, and then the children got what was, what was left. So those legendary dishes that you heard them talking about, there wasn't a crumb left in them by the time you got there. As a matter of fact, I didn't know they had anything other than a chicken neck until I was like 15. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> if y'all never eaten a chicken neck, be thankful. So anyhow. But that was, you know, those were, that's what we called it was getting together. But the word fellowship has a much deeper meaning in Scripture. And so in Acts chapter 2, here's what it said. As the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. So they came together corporately. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So they came together, but they also met in homes, in small groups. That was the, the blueprint of the early church. And here's the thing. If God's number one purpose is that we have fellowship with him, how important is it for us to have fellowship and relationships with other people whose number one purpose is the same thing, and that is to know and live and love and follow God? So that's why that's so important, is because God wants us to have fellowship with him, and having fellowship with other believers helps us. You know, one of the things that's been true our, my entire adult life, and particularly my entire married life, is that we've never lived in the same town as any of our um, family or extended family. You know, my parents have always lived at least two hours away, usually more than that. Um, I have a lot of extended family in Mississippi, and, um, you know, Carrie, Carrie's family lived different places. And so we, we were never a place where our family was right there with us, where we could call them up, hey, you know, can you watch the kids for a few hours? Or could you do this? Or can you come over and help me with that? Now, they would, they would, we would see each other. 
But here's the deal. Our family has been, you know, we love our family, but our, our closest people a lot of times have been people from our church. And that was true for my parents as well as we were growing up, is the people they were closest to were people from church. You know, I still, uh, my parents still have contact with people that they knew in church when they were in their 20s, have, have kept those relationships with them for years and years and years. And so that's where you find and you build a family. That's what church is, is family. And, you know, one of the, one of the ways that I'm, I'm so proud of our church is that, that, man, we love to help people. And there's times where we've helped people in a big scale, all of us together. You know, we'd share a need and everybody would do it. But 98% of the time when we help people is through small groups. And it happens whether you know it or not every week. You know, I was listening to some guys Wednesday. Yeah, we're, we're going to go move these folks on this day. You know, our small group's getting together. or You know, they're not feeling well. We're taking them food. You know, there's, there's all kinds of ways where we help one another's family. And the Bible tells in Proverbs that a, a, brother, a, a neighbor who is near is better than a brother who's far away in times of trouble. You know, there's something about that, that bond with your, your, particularly with me, with your biological family. Y'all didn't get that? My name is Bond, just saying. Y'all, y'all didn't get that, but okay. I won't inflict that on the third service, so you perform the service. Okay, but anyway, here's the deal. Um, you, that's where people find help in times of need. Now, I'm not trying to say, oh, you, know, you, know, you need to go there if you need help. But if you need help, go there. Find you a small group. They can be, they will become your family. Now, that's not going to happen the first week or the second week or the third week. Maybe by then, I don't know, but it takes time. But the more commitment you show to a group of people, and then the more you grow together, the more it helps you to become more like Christ, the more you have people when you need something, and the more you develop relationships with people to share life with. Now, for some of us, that's easier than others. Some people walk into a group of, me, group of people, and 10 minutes later, there's not a stranger in there. They, you know, there's just some of us like that. Some of us are kind of okay. And then some of us are, are very kind of laid back or shy or whatever, and that's harder for us. But we still have to make an effort. And so I, I want to encourage you, whether it's easy for you or difficult, find a small group. You can look online. There's a small group finder there that will help you find... Um, kind of a group that might fit you. We have groups for couples. We have groups for men. We have groups for women. We got groups for teenagers all the way down through children. So find a place for, for you to get involved in a small group Bible study and live life with people. And that's an invaluable thing. There's a couple of ways it really helps you. Is number one, you know what? One of the things that isolation does is it breeds deceit. When, you don't, when you're just kind of off with your own thoughts, I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of thoughts that sounded really good in my own head. And then when you come across somebody else and you share it with them, and they're like, dude, what is wrong with you? That would never work, blah, blah, blah. Anybody else? But if you don't ever get around that other person, you go on thinking that your way is perfect. Oh, it's, it's, it's dead on. And so isolation breeds deceit. You need other people that can, you know, that can share with you and, and you share with them. And it helps you to see things that maybe you won't see. It helps you and it encourages you. And that's the second part. It says in um, Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. 
for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. There's two things there. We motivate one another to acts of love and good works. It's easier to follow God when you're surrounded by or you have other people in life that you're following God with. Now, I'm not trying to tell you don't have relationships with people who don't know Christ. You need to have those. But you need to have a circle of people around you that are trying to walk in the same direction you are. It's critical. It helps. They can motivate you to acts of love and good works and also encourage one another. We can encourage one another. Now, in the middle there, it says, let us, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Now, we're fine with you going and trying three or four different small groups. Go find the one that fits best for your family. It doesn't mean one's better than another. It means sometimes the groups fit better than others. So try several. That's 100% fine, and we'd love for you to do that. But we really encourage you to find a small group of folks involved in a, in a Bible study and get involved. It makes a world of difference. Don't neglect the meeting together. And you know what? It's not hard to come up with excuses not to do it. Well, I don't know. There's probably a hypocrite in there. I, I can promise you, I'm just going to alleviate you that from right now. There is most definitely a hypocrite in there. Absolutely. But I want to ask you, what's the bigger hypocrite? The person that may be struggling with something in life but continues to go to church, continues to try to work at the Bible, continues to try to build relationships, or the person who says, I know I'm supposed to go to church because that's what the Bible says, but I'm not going to go because I've heard there's a hypocrite there. Which one is actually the bigger hypocrite? Just asking the question. The second question, and this is one I've said to people for years, well, the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Absolutely we are. But we always have room for one more, so come join us. <laughs> I don't really have an answer for that. If there's anybody in here that's 100% without hypocrisy, I'd like to meet you after the service. Because I've never met anyone like that. I'm not without hypocrisy. There are things that I, I know I should not do that I do. There are things that I know I should do that I do not do. And I bet every single one of you in here could fall into that category one way or another. Second thing, well, I hadn't been, we hadn't been in such a long time. Hey, if church is really family, would you say that about your family? Hey, you know what? Man, I love my family, but we hadn't visited them in like four months, so we should probably never go again. <laughs> Who would say that? It's your family. Here's the thing about small groups, they're family. So you know what? When you go, they have to take you in. That's what family is. Just like when you show up at your parents, hey, I need a place to stay, I got blah, blah, blah. They have to take you in. That's what family is. So church is the same way. We'll take you in. Come on back. We don't care how long you've been gone. Now, is somebody maybe going to make a comment? Maybe, probably not. Because chances were they don't have perfect attendance either. So if somebody says something to you, well, I guess the walls aren't falling out. Just go, hypocrite, hypocrite. And then go sit down. Don't say another word to them. Just do it like that. Family's about small groups. Be a part of one. And one of the best ways about encouraging is that it encourages life change. You know, the, one of the biggest lies, I told you isolation breeds deceit, but the other biggest lie you're going to get 
is that whatever difficult things you're facing in life, you think you're the only one going through it. That is a lie of the enemy. And when you get into a small group and you're there for a while, you don't even have to say anything. And before long, you're going to go, you know what? They're, they're going through some of the same things we're going through. That's the biggest lie of the enemy is that nobody else out there is going to understand what you're going through or that people are going to go, they're not. Because we're all struggling with things. Life's hard. If you're married, marriage is hard. If you got kids, raising kids is hard. It's hard. And other people struggle with parts of it too. So one of the things you find in a small group is you're probably going to find somebody else that's struggling with the same thing you are. But you're also going to find somebody else that has probably struggled with that in the past, but they've got, and other people have walked them through it. And now they have something to offer you. And maybe they can help you. And there's probably somebody in there that hasn't gone through what you're going through yet, but they're going to. And then maybe as you walk through it, you can help them walk through it too later on when they get to that point in life. Small groups are valuable. Find you a place. You see, one of the things we're called to do is to change. Now, everybody changes whether you want to or not. You know, your, your body changes when you get older. You, you, things change. But God wants us to change to be more in the image of his son. In Titus 3, 3 through 7, it says, For we too were foolish. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts, and pleasures. You see, anyone who sins, Jesus said, is a slave to sin. So we were sins, slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy. We hated each other. But <clears throat> when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of His grace, He declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. See, change is part of becoming a believer. Once you were this way, but now we're this way. Now, it doesn't mean that everything gets cleaned up right away. That's not how it works. The Holy Spirit begins to change us, begins to set us free from things. And then there comes a day where you get convicted about something else that maybe you weren't convicted about at first, but now it's time to work on that. It's a process as we go through it. And God's called us to live differently. That's one of the big signs. When somebody says that they've had an encounter with Christ, an encounter that confronted them with their own sin and their need for a Savior, and they confessed their sins and asked forgiveness and trusted Christ, let me tell you what happens. It changes you. How could it not? Now, I get it if you're seven years old, the change is, may not be noticeable to some people right away. And it may be fairly small. But the older you are and the older you become saved, the more the, the change is pronounced. Once you're saved, no matter what age, there's a change. And if listen, I want you to hear this. If there's no change, there's no Jesus. Because the scripture clearly tells us, you've been set free. You've been given a heart of flesh where you had a heart of stone. You've been, re you, you are now a new creation. How could you not change? Now, it doesn't mean you were perfect in that moment. You're not going to be. But there will be change. See, I, here's the thing that, that I've 
always doubted the most, that I've had the hardest time with. If somebody says they can come to know Christ, that the God of the universe can take up residence in their heart, that all their sins could be wiped away and they could be forgiven for that point over, and now they have the hope of Jesus, and it not change them even a bit, could it have happened? If there's no change, there's no Jesus. Change is part of following Christ. Now, <clears throat> here's what, that's, that's something that happens the moment we're saved. It begins, but it requires our participation from that point on. Everyone changes. It says in Romans 12, 1 through 2, So dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. It's not a matter of earning what Jesus did. It's because of it. It's because of it. You know, you can find all kinds of movies. You know, in the beginning of it, this guy saves another guy's life, and he comes up and says, I'm your servant for life because you've you saved my life. Without you, I'd be dead. I, I'm, whatever, wherever you go, I go. Whatever you do, I'm going to do. And if that were true and that made sense, why would we not do it for somebody that laid down his life so that we would not have to go to hell? So that we could have an eternity in heaven. Why would we not be willing to change? I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, here's, here's one of the things that is a big difference from the church that I grew up in, that I was a young man in, to the church of today. The church in those days, were there things that we weren't great at? Sure. Most churches believed in evangelism, but they didn't, evangelism, they didn't do it all that well. But let me tell you what they did believe, that, that you should show change as a believer. Now, were there extremes there? Were there sometimes people that got legalistic? Absolutely. But let me tell you something. We've gone the opposite direction now. There are too many churches that instead of trying to, to lift up holiness and living in a way that pleases God, are trying to please the world. There are too many Christians that pronounce Christianity out in one moment, quote Bible verses one moment, and then curse someone like a dog the next moment. There are too many people that talk about being transformed by the, by the love of Christ, and then the next, next moment, they're dressing or acting or participating in something that is godless. That's not the way it's supposed to be, folks. We're supposed to be different. When people, have you ever been in a, you ever been somewhere and somebody walked into a restaurant or a business and after, you know, I don't know about you, I like to, I people watch. I make fun of people in my mind sometimes too, but we won't go there. But I'm, I'm sitting there watching people come in. You know what? There are times somebody can be in a, in a room for five minutes and I'm like, that person's a believer. I'm not sure how I know it. I just know. Anybody else done that? You can tell, can't you? Because they're different. Now then there's sometimes people come down and I get in a conversation with them 
because I think they're lost. They're, oh, no, I'm a believer. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm surprised. Shouldn't be that either. But you can tell. You can tell. We should be different. Now, here's part of the deal. If you're wondering why, you know, I'm a believer, but I don't, I don't, I'm not getting what God's will is for my life. I want you to see these things are connected. Listen to this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new way, excuse me, into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, God has a perfect will for your life. But here's one of the, here's one of the truths about it. You may not see it because if the life you're living is disqualifying you from servicing, service with God, you may not see his full purpose. You know what? When I, when I first began the ministry, there were certain qualifications. And I knew the moment that I accepted a position that there were some, there were some sins, certain sins, that if I committed them, I would be out. Without a job, without a ministry, out. I'm, I'm, and I'm not saying that if you feel sorry for me. I knew that. And it was right for me to know that. Because the Bible tells us there are qualifications for ministry. But let me tell you something. The same thing's true for you. And if you're living a life that is marked openly by sin, don't expect that God is going to lead you to his pur your purpose in his kingdom while you're doing that. That's not how it works. Even Paul, who'd been persecuting Christians, when he came to know Christ, you know what he did after that? He got up and gave his testimony, and then he went off for three years studying the Scripture. We don't even know where. To learn about Jesus and be transformed by him before he ever began a ministry. And that was going from lost to saved. Now, am I saying that if I blew it, that God could never use me again? I'm not saying that. But it would be different. It would never be the same. You know, people like to say, and it's true, after David sinned, he was still king. He was. But his kingdom and his rule was never the same. Now, God still used him in instances, but it was marked by turmoil and rebellion. That's just the truth. I'm not saying that to discourage you. I'm not saying that for you to worry about your past. You can't do anything about that. What I'm saying is God has a will and a plan for you and a purpose in his kingdom. But you're never going to see it if you're not willing to be set apart and be different. You can't get there by conforming to the customs and the behaviors of the world. You come and you conform to the Word of God. Whether it's popular, whether other people like it or not. And stop worrying, parents, about whether or not what you're teaching and leading your kids to do is comfortable for them with other kids. If you're going to follow Christ, that's part of the deal. And I'll tell you just something else. You want to talk about success or greatness? Greatness doesn't come by staying in with the pack. It happens by being willing to do more and to be different. You want, to, you want your child to follow Christ? You want them to live? I, I, I want my kids 
to be set apart and to be different, to be used by God. Then raise them differently. Raise them according to the word instead of the world. It's the only way. And here's the deal. If you spend their whole time when their kids in your home trying to help them fit in and be like everybody else, then don't be surprised when they're adults and they fit in or just like everybody else. Because that's what we've raised them to be. Teach them to be different. Is, there, is it going to be hard sometimes? Yep. Are there things they're not going to be invited to? Yep. Are there things that people are going to tell them they miss out on? Yep. It's an, it's an opportunity to teach them how to deal with it and how to live with it. But if you just want them fitting in with everybody else, keep going down that path. Once you become a new person by changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I want, I want my kids to know and to follow God's will. And they're never going to know that unless they change the way they think and stop yielding to the, to the customs and the ways of the world. That's how you find God's will. And let me tell you something. I wouldn't trade my life for anything. If you told me I could be governor of Texas tomorrow, I'd tell you I ain't taking that step down. I like what I'm doing. Uh-uh. This is my calling. This is what God's called me to do. That'd be a step down. I, don't, I ain't interested. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. Not that anybody's offered. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I wouldn't. Because following God's will and His plan is the most exciting, best life you could possibly have. Period. There isn't anything better. The world tries to tell you there is, but there's not. There's nothing better than following him and knowing his will and knowing his plan. Now, all this is kind of three parts, and I'm going to go through. There's some, there are some biblical words that I'm going to use here. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Or like I heard when I was a kid, you better get justified, you can get sanctified, get glorified. Any, any old school church people here, y'all know what I'm talking about. The thing about these words is that they, they're kind of uniquely Christian in a lot of ways. You don't hear those words in, in other contexts most of the time. And I kind of like that. And, but there's a deep meaning behind each one of those. Justification. That goes back to that second verse that I talked to you about where, the Bible, where it says in, in um, uh, Titus, where it talks about, um, no, that was like the third or fourth verse, where it says, because of his grace, he declared us righteous. You see, that's justified. Once you're justified by God, it's because God declared you righteous. You didn't do anything for that. He declared that because of your faith in Jesus. And once you're declared justified and declared righteous, that's forever forward. That covers all the sins you've already committed, sins you commit today, and the sins you, and maybe the ones you're committing right now. I don't know. Or the, and also the sins in front of you. That, that, that's your position. You are now considered justified in front of God. You don't have to worry about someday answering for your sins as far as being, um, you know, the judgment that comes with that. You, you're, that's been paid. Jesus paid the price in full. But the second part of that is called sanctification. And what that means is set apart for a special purpose. Is that God sets you apart 
for something that has meaning and has beauty and has, has this sense of, of art to it almost about what God wants you to be. You know, there's something to that. When you recognize and you can figure out what God created you to be, that is a beautiful moment, isn't it? Now, maybe you haven't figured that out yet. It's okay. It's never too late to figure that out. But that happens once we're set apart. And I talked about it a little bit earlier. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Now it goes on to talk about other sins, but you know what? And that's one of the deals that's specifically talked about in the qualifications for leadership is that a failure in that area would cost me my ministry and my job. Doesn't mean God couldn't use me at some other point, but that's, that's part of the deal. I've always known that, okay? And I'm all right with that. It doesn't matter whether I am or not, that's what the scripture says. So that's a qualification. If I disqualify myself, I'm disqualified. It doesn't mean God can't use me. Maybe there are things that have disqualified you from this or from that, but let me tell you something. God's got a plan for you and he's got a purpose for you. He doesn't just go, oh, well, too bad. There's still a purpose and there's a plan that God can use you. And it's better than anything you can think of right now. Let me tell you, it, there's nothing like following Jesus. There really isn't. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16 so think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. You know, let me just kind of give you an example. How many of y'all remember growing up, mom maybe having some, over in a cabinet somewhere, the fine china. Anybody have that? Maybe you didn't, but you know, you, there were some things, there was something in the house that you weren't supposed to touch unless something special happened at the house. I started to really think there really wasn't anything special enough for the china, but you know, we used it, I think twice my entire childhood, maybe more, I don't know, but you know, it, now if you came home and mom found you out in the backyard with the gravy boat digging holes, you's going to get a whooping because you were using something that was supposed to be set apart for something special to do something common. That's what we used to call it, common. And that wasn't okay. And here's the thing, you are that China. You might not look at your life and think that you have this innate worth that was given to you by God, but you, you are. God declared you righteous. He declared that you were worth the sacrifice of his son. I don't get that, but it's true. And because of that, you have this inherent worth. And God's command to you is don't take what God gave you and created you for and use it for something common. You're meant for something better than that. That's what it means to be sanctified. It means to be set apart. Somebody comes up and there's an, no, mm -mm. God's got more for me than that. You ain't gonna get me to mess my life up with that, no. I'm not going out playing in the mud. 
God has a greater purpose. I love you. Let me tell you about it. It's not in a judgmental way. But don't get caught using something that God intended for a great purpose and to be amazing. Don't get caught in the mud. Now, the last thing in the hope we have is glorification. Philippians 1.6, I am certain that God who began the work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You know, someday we're all going to come face to face with Christ, whether that's in the air because he's come back, or maybe, you know, our, our souls will slip these slip out of these temporary dwellings and we'll go meet Jesus. You know what the Bible tells us? That when we see him face to face, that's when that final transformation is going to happen. And we're going to be like him. Without sin. A glorified body that will never decay. Never be sick. Never have to take a Vicks vapor drop again, ever. <laughs> Amen with that. Never worry about any of those things. Why, are we gonna, why is that going to happen? Because we're going to see him as he is. His presence transforms us. And we get glimpses of that here. You see, you need the growing presence of God that comes through worship, that comes through devotion to his family, that comes through small groups, that comes through being in the word of God. When those things grow in your life, you get transformed a little bit more into the image of Jesus, and then there will come a day where it's going to be finished. It's going to be done. But here's what it says. We need to look for it now. And we need to be moving towards it now. Be set apart. Someday... I wonder, you know, if that moment right before we meet Jesus or right after we met Him, are we going to wonder, and why did I waste all that time on earth? Why did I waste all that time? I don't know. It doesn't say in Scripture whether we have that moment or not. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But I do know that my greatest hope is when I come before Jesus, he'll just say these, these simple words. This is in Scripture. Well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the words you should long to hear more than any other. Are those words right there. Well done, good and faithful servant. And you know who gets those words? People that were faithful. People that were set apart. People that grew in the image of Christ. Now, may, you know, it may not have been leaps and bounds every day. Some days it's, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Some days it's one step forward, two steps back. That's how life works. But you kept moving. And you kept being faithful. Sometimes it's hard to recognize in ourselves the growth we've had over a year or years because it seems so gradual to us. But it's just like, you, you know, you see, I take, you know, my son's grown about six inches in the last year, year and a half. You know, he's just a hair under six foot now. And if I take him somewhere and somebody hadn't seen him in a few months, they go, who is that? 
because they're not used to seeing it. You know, it, it, it happened, it seemed gradual to us. You know, I just kind of looked around one day and said, what happened here? Because you don't notice it when it's gradual, but it's growth. And that's what we're commanded to do is grow, change, be like Jesus. You know, the first part of that relationship we talked about is the relationship with Christ. And if you would like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that there, that, that there is a heaven, that you're going to meet Jesus someday face to face. And in that moment, you're going to be given an eternal body that will never fade. You'd like to know those things. You'd like to know that right now you have peace with God because you've been justified. <clears throat> There's a simple way. You know, it's through faith. Believe in what Jesus told us. And here's what it takes. Number one, you've got to admit you're a sinner. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. You can't, if you could do it yourself, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. You need a Savior. So you've got to admit your sins, confess them, and ask forgiveness. Second thing is you've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son that he died on the cross for your sins and for mine, and that he rose on the third day, according to Scripture. Lastly, you got to confess Jesus as Lord. That means you're willing to do it his way. You won't be perfect at it. You're not going to get it right right off the bat. But here's the other thing. It's, you can't go clean everything up and then come to Christ. i got to get all these things straight. That's not how it works. You know how it works? As you confess all those things, Jesus cleans you up from the inside, and then you start working outwards. So forget about, well, I need to go get some things straight. That's not how it works. You need the power of God to get those things straight in the first place. And once you know Him, you got the power of God in you. You're victorious. If you'd like to have that relationship with Christ, I want to lead you in a brief prayer of salvation. You repeat this after me. You can say in your own words, either way. Pray in your heart, God will hear you. But if you'd like to know those things, you pray this with me right now. If you bow your heads and close your eyes. Pray with me now. Dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for having a purpose for me. Thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. I've blown it. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life and change me. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day according to scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my savior and I confess him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Wherever you're at, I just want you to look up at me for just a moment and keep looking until I see you. So right now, you just look up at me. Okay, I see you. All right, got you. Okay. All right. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. It's important that you talk to someone about this. 
came with your parents, talk to them as you're going home or, or right after the service, whichever would work. John will be here at the front. He's our youth pastor. And uh, he'd love to talk to anybody that'd like to talk about it today. So you just come up after the service. He'll dismiss us the prayer in a few moments and you just come up here to where he is and he'd love to sit down and talk with you about that. Or you can talk to him about setting up a time to meet. And also, if it'd be easier for you, there's a number on the screen that you can text, I did it to that number. And we'll get back with you and set up a time to have a conversation with you, whether on phone, by phone, Zoom, or in person, whatever you're most comfortable with, and answer any questions you have and talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. We don't want anything from you. We're not gonna ask you for anything. We just want to help you in those steps. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your mercy, for your love. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus, who died that we may know you, and that we may know each other in a way that is stronger than human bonds. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love. And most of all, thank you for Jesus. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.